As you heard Joanne um, introduce for us the uh, starting of a new series, uh, starting of a new series that sort of just came to me during the week. I've, I've sort of been looking and reflecting around these things for the past few months and then shared even briefly with our leaders in January some of these concepts. But it's sort of in the last uh, few days, God's just sort of brought it all together in a way that, that has helped me to want to be able to formulate it in a way that you can capture it and understand it. So 3D, it's a bit of a play on words. Um, 3D as in, you know, you see in 3D. Um, and I'm just playing on that 3D, how God sees you and me. And it's not necessarily just how God sees you, but it's more important that because God sees you, that means the process and journey of change, the process and journey of sanctification is actually possible because you are important and valued by God. Amen? So 3D, who knows what that picture is just while we're getting into it? It is the eye of God. Well done, Pastor Rodney. That's um, the nebula, the eye of God out there in space. You can't see it with your own eyes, but I'd say that's a Hubble telescope photo. And um, I think it looks really amazing. So I'll put that up there for your enjoyment this morning. Anyway, so here we are. Welcome to this new series. And it's my intention to unpack how God sees you and me. And how he calls us to see ourselves in the same way so that we may walk in victory. Everyone say, walk in victory. Walk in victory. Awesome, you're awake. That's what I want to hear. My hope is that we re- this will really speak into your heart, for I believe this is a direction for us this year, that, uh, that is by this a way that God will continue to do many great things in our lives and through our lives. So just take a moment to pray. Father, we... We come before you with open hearts and even open hands today. We come, Lord, expecting to hear something from you, not from a voice, but from your spirit. We pray, Lord, as we open ourselves up, that your word may speak deep into our hearts and may bring transformation, that we may walk free as we've sung today, that you are the God of the breakthrough. And I pray today, Lord that you will break through into our lives, that we may break out into the things that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So, Psalm 18, verses 1 to 6, is sort of a loosely based text that I want to share from today. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cord of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. What does it do in your heart to know that God's listening, that God's watching, that God's seeing, and he knows exactly what you're going through? What does that do in your life? What does it do in the context of what you're walking through at the moment 
is a psalm of David. The servant of the Lord, as it, it actually introduces this psalm in your Bibles. It says, Who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of King Saul. So we all know the life of David, don't we? We love to read the, of the small shepherd boy who wasn't even noticed by his own father. He was out there in the field not being noticed. He was tending the sheep. He was doing his duty. He was doing everything well. And the prophet's there to anoint one of the sons. And not one of them was good enough in the eyes of God to be anointed the next king of Israel. Surely there's got to be one more son, the prophet thinks. Surely I didn't mishear God. And then this ruddy little boy, David, is brought in. This shepherd boy, this faithful boy. We all love the story of David, don't we? How this boy was anointed to be king of Israel. We love the story of his inquisitive chap taking food to his grown brothers as he wanders to the battlefield, as he peeks over the top of the hillside to see the armies of the Philistines, as he peeks over and he looks out, He's so inquisitive of what's going on. What is it that he sees? He sees the taunting of the giant Goliath over nine feet tall. He sees the taunting of this man. Isn't there anyone worthy to challenge me? He's seeing that he's disrespecting God. Now this boy, all he was meant to do was take up this food to his brothers who were in the, in the camp. Something rose up in this boy. Something of the bear and the lion. You all remember the story. I've killed the bear. I've killed the lion. This filthy Philistine's going to be nothing to my God. This, this boy who rose up and defeated the giant and took his head. We all love the stories. We love the fire that rose up in him, don't we? As the challenge came, the indignation of this man. We love his victories and we cry with his challenges as he ran from King Saul or became complacent later on in his life and he chose to partner again with sin and sinned with Bathsheba. What we also love about David is how he is completely open and completely bare. This raw passion before God in his Psalms, his honesty, his fearlessness, how he didn't care what others thought as he openly danced in worship before the Ark of the Presence. Do you remember the story? His first wife, she was appalled at him dancing in his loincloth before the Ark how all the women were watching him, but he had no eyes for anyone else but for his God. We love the stories, don't we? We sense within David a sense of freedom that we long for sometimes. And David is someone that you and I can relate to because the Bible reveals his humanity to us. But in this verse that, that we've got up there, I, 
I see verse 1, 2, and 3 is the key to David's freedom. He truly knew the Lord and who God was for him. He knew how God saw him and he knew without God, he couldn't live up to the vision of God. Look again at what that says. It says, I love you. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He says, you're my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. How good is that? David is often remembered as the man truly after God's own heart. Yet he is also the one who caught a glimpse of the life available to us now in Christ. As many of his writings are messianic in nature, God has shown in David a grace that became fully available many, many years later through faith in Jesus Christ. There's this sense that we understand that God is our deliverer. In David's story, we see how God interacts with his people. God wants to and desires to and made the way open to interact with you on these terms. The first one being as a king, so through kingship, and the second being through sonship as his sons. We see this in David's life, but it becomes apparent through the life of Jesus even more that he desires to interact on this level. He sees you as a king. He sees you as royalty. And even though you couldn't measure up to that place, he elevated you to that position. Exactly the same as David, as he wandered with the shepherds and he wandered with the sheep, this boy was elevated to the stature of being the king of Israel. And it's only by God's grace that something like that could happen. Because there was nothing on the outside that was desirable for man's eyes. But God doesn't look at the outside appearance, does he? He looks at the heart. And it was the heart of David that saw the door open for him to become king. And that should give us courage today because God looks at your heart. But what is it in your heart that he's looking at? Is it your own desires? Is it your own will? Is it everything that you want from this life? Or is it that he looks upon the one in whom he placed in your heart, the very presence of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, whom positions you in a place of royalty and who seals you into the sonship of God? <clears throat> we see God's proclamation over David's life, a sense of destiny and calling and we see how God fulfills this as David walks closely in step with God in faith. But it's only a glimpse of the reality you and I can and should experience, which is made available through Jesus Christ here and now. Do you know God is not satisfied with a token salvation? I want to say that again for you. God is not satisfied with a token salvation. Jesus did not die so that we could just 
come to him once in prayer and that be it. A token salvation that you would call upon his name once and that would be it. He died and positioned you in a place to relate with you as royalty and as a son that you would come and approach him on a daily basis and not as someone who is in fear of their life, but in someone who is in fear of living without him. That's how he's positioned you. And he's not, he's not content. He's not satisfied with us when we're just sitting back waiting. Salvation can be, uh, I, I use a, a term here maybe that might, might shake you up a little bit, an incomplete salvation at times. But maybe that just means that someone hasn't encountered what true salvation actually is. See, salvation is to set us apart unto God, is it not? Salvation is to set us upon a path and a journey of following Jesus, becoming more like him. We were only talking about this the other night at our group where we were talking about this process of sanctification, of being made holy unto God. And seeing that which was already established become outworked and a portion of our life forever. This is what I like about David. David was not content in the knowledge of God. David was not content with the fact that the prophet had came and anointed him to be king. In fact, David said his entire life, even while he was a shepherd boy, even while he was going out to face Goliath, even though he was running from Saul, he set his life to see the purposes of God fulfilled in and through him. That's why he was said to be a, God after, a man after God's own heart, because he wanted to see God's heart fulfilled in his life. Is that your thoughts as well? God desires to lead each and every one of us into his full promises. That's not a token statement because he paid a significant price to see that happen. It was significant that Jesus died on the cross. It cost him his life. It's not a token sacrifice by any means. It was, it was the only one who could die, the only one who could actually remain. John says it in this way, that he's the only one that could have remained forever alive because he was sin-free. He was guiltless. He was innocent. He should remain forever, but he gave up his life that you would come to him. He gave up his life that you would experience and encounter a grace that no one else had ever encountered previous to Jesus. David came close, but he still never encountered the truth of what you and I stepped into the moment we called upon Christ. So how does God see you and I? How is it in 3D that God sees us? Well, we've got this passage of scripture here for starters. And I don't, my intention is not to open these up, but just to help you unpack this in your own thinking. And I give you the scriptures around it to give you some context. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 19. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Has anyone ever thought that God wants to control you with his love? 
that's an interesting concept. Another version says that it's the love of God that compels us. It's the same basic meaning. That God's love wants to compel you or control you and to bring you into this place that understands that if one has died for all, therefore you all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but live for those or live for him for their sake who died and was raised. I messed that up, sorry. Now, from now on, verse 16, Therefore we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were regarded, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You might have regarded Christ in the flesh before, but now we've got to regard him in the fullness of his expression as Christ, who is raised and exalted far above. He's not just flesh, but he's spirit. Now we've got to regard ourselves as being dead in the flesh and alive under Christ as new creatures, born again as, as we heard this morning. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And I like this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, it's not good enough just to be a new creation. The purpose of the new creation is that you can help others come into the new creation, to be reconciled unto God. We could spend hours unpacking this. What about the next verse? Ephesians 2, 1 to 7. Two of my favorite verses here. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... Everyone say with me, but God, being what? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I love this incitation here. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 there stands out for me. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only are you born again as a son of God, but you are raised up into the royal places of heaven. That is your reality now. We've had series after series of talking about our reality, haven't we, over the last 10 years of those of you who have been around. Our position in Christ is critical to our understanding of walking out who we are in Jesus. 
When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he did so knowing that we would be born enemies of God. And that drove him, that very point drove him to suffer at the hands of his executioners. God knew full well the price he needed to pay to redeem us. David in our opening psalm called God his deliverer. God is our deliverer also. To deliver means to liberate or redeem from. To deliver means to liberate or redeem from. The price paid for your redemption was the very blood of Jesus. And it is no cheap deliverance. To set you free from the hands of death. To set you free from the law of sin. To set you free from, from ultimate destruction in a sense of being completely cast away from the love and presence of God. That Jesus would step in the middle of that and come and die for you. It is no cheap deliverance. That you and I could be friends of God and set at liberty from sin is an amazing thought. But it's not just a thought, it's a reality. There are four things around this point of deliverance I want to talk about today. And if you're smart enough, you would have caught on. 3D is a play on words, and our first D in this series is the word deliverance. God, my deliverer. So for God to be our deliverer, let us focus on what that means for us and what did Jesus die from to deliver us today. The first point, if you're taking notes, is that God delivered us from our past. Pastor Jamie touched on that, didn't he, when he talked this morning about remembering our own past and having the sin of our life held onto and not letting go of that and trusting that God has dealt with it. I want to say this to you. Our past is not our portion. You're not defined by your past. You're not defined by what mistakes you've made and how you've lived separately or independent of God. You're not defined by that. And anyone that tries to define you by that is actually partnering with the enemy himself and trying to call you and pull you down. You are not defined by your past mistakes. God does not see you like that. In fact, he sees you as his son and he elevates you to a position of royalty. So why do we hang on to it? Why do we battle with it? Why, why do we even give the devil a foothold when he tries to remind us of it? Our past is redeemed is the second thing there. If your past is redeemed, it means that you have been purchased at a high price and that your past no longer has power over you. Now, I'll put a little, little statement in there. That's not, that doesn't mean that if you've done something that was criminal, that, that you're not going to have to pay the price in this world for it. It doesn't mean if you've done something in your past that the, the law is going to catch up with that you might go to jail. That, it, it doesn't wipe your hands clear of that. You have to pay your debts to society 
But your debt unto God and your, your, your forgiveness and being able to hold your head up high, completely set free from whatever mistakes you've made, is only found by the blood of Jesus. You might have made some horrible decisions in your life that have set you on a trajectory, I can't even say that word today, of, 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 of destruction. But it's in the middle of the highway to hell that Jesus plants his cross and he says, forgiven. It's in the middle of you heading to destruction that you call upon the Lord as you look upon the cross and you declare that my life is not my own. My life is given to the one who died for me. That he would show you grace and mercy, that his blood would wash you free and redeem your past and deliver you from that in his eyes. When the slave driver comes, you must remember that he has no power or authority over you anymore. Our past is actually forgotten. Psalm 103, verse 8 to 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why didn't God say north and south? Because when you think of the globe being round, north and south will always meet. It continually goes round, but east and west never will when you think about it. It sort of just pushes out completely, even past the globe, even past the actual... It just keeps going because God's universe is always expanding. God's, God's, God's intellect is always expanding and us understanding his intellect is always expanding, but he continually grows the universe moment by moment, minute by minute. And when you think that your, your sin is going from one point of here all the way that way and another sin is going all the way that way, that they'll never meet. And God, God doesn't see the same as we do. He sees you as being delivered He's seeing you in this case today as 3D. The first D being he's delivered you from your sin. He's set you free from your past. Can someone say amen to that? Isn't it nice to know that your past has no hold on you in light of God? The second thing I want you to write down and is this, is to de- that Jesus died to deliver us from our flesh. Who finds it hard to overcome sin? Who finds it hard to say no when temptation comes? Who fi- that, the reason you're finding it hard is because we're always connected to this thing called our flesh. It's not until the day that we die that we're actually set free of this thing called our flesh. And we, we actually are brought into a place of, of being brought into our resurrected state as Christ is. So while ever you're alive and breathing on this earth, you've got this to contend with, your flesh. 
But the truth of the matter is you've been delivered from it and it takes faith to believe that and to stand in the promises of that. Paul, in Romans 7, he talks about the battle of the flesh and Pastor Jamie spoke about this only a few weeks ago. Might have even been two weeks ago. The things that I do, I do not want to do and the things I want to do, I do not do. Who understands that? It's hard to read, but it's the truth. I'm compelled by the flesh to do something that doesn't honor God. But it's in the middle of that compelling that Paul writes this statement, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And he continues in Romans 8, and I love this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I could leave that there and just let that sit, couldn't I? That while you're battling with your flesh, Jesus completely understands it. And while you are saying that with one I I am following the law of Christ and with the other I'm following the law of, of sin, ultimately we've got to come to this conclusion that I am more than a conqueror, that I have no condemnation now in Jesus. And when I stand up in the knowledge of having no condemnation, I have the power to overcome by the grace of God. I'm not trying to do this. I'm actually outwalking my faith, believing that there is power in the salvation that Christ paid for us. I am believing that there is power in the cross to overcome and there is the power in the cross to say no to temptation. But I'm also believing that if I fail, that my loving God is gracious and he's slow to anger and that I can always run back to him. I can always come to him in a place and say, God, I have mucked up and I am in need of your grace and your favor right now that I understand it, that I will not do that again. You know the enemy's got a foothold or a place in your life when you can't run to God when you've sinned. If you are embarrassed or you feel like you're going to be rejected or you feel like that God's going to expel you or you feel like that there are so many things that you have to do to make God love you again, no matter what that looks like or wherever background you've come from, let let me tell you this, you are caught in a prison of misunderstanding about who God is and who He says you are. He calls you His Son. And the same treatment that He has for Jesus, He wants to give to you. He wants to position you in a place where you will be overcoming of the flesh. As Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. As you are renewed of your mind, you are transformed into the likeness of Christ. Renewing of your mind means to put away the things that had you enslaved and start to walk unto the things that God has given you. And you need to confess over your life that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's not the freedom to do whatever I want. It's the freedom to express myself in the boundaries of who God's called me to be. There are so many differences about that. But when we start to confess the Word of God over our life, let me tell you, the enemy, his voice is drowned out pretty quickly. 
because you are hearing the truth of the word and it is combating every attack that he brings into your life. Thirdly, Jesus died to deliver you and me from all, how do we go backwards? Fear. Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and of love and a sound mind. When fear comes, who loses it? Who gets scared? Who, who loses this sense of, of control? Who, 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 who kind of allows the anxiety to rise up in a way that, that you can't actually function and you start to panic? Like This is what happens when fear starts to come in. But God didn't give you a spirit of fear, did he? In fact, he says he gave you a sound mind, which means that you can stand up over your anxieties, that you can put yourself in a position to choose to not partner with that anxiety or that spirit of fear. God chose to deliver you from that, but by faith we must accept it and apply it in our life. I love this. It's funny because we had a bit of a play around this on, uh, on Facebook. We, you know, um, we should sing the song, Fear not, for I am with you, yeah? Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when you're in fear, when you're in anxiety, when you're in this place that you cannot control, you must come back to the truth that says where God himself is saying, Fear not. I will uphold you. I will establish you. I have elevated you to spiritual places that you could never be without me. So rest in the knowledge that you are at freedom in me. And I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. And you combat the irrational emotions I've got to do this every day of my life sometimes. It feels like I'm walking through that valley and I've always got to say no, no, no. And I understand what it's like to feel like you can't do something because you are crippled with anxiety or you're crippled with fear. But faith combats fear. And you don't have faith by sitting and waiting for God to deliver. You have faith by putting to action what you believe, by confessing over your life the word of God and allowing the power of God to deliver you. And he's done this and he wants to continue to do this in your life. He wants to deliver you from all fear. Lastly, as I bring this to a conclusion, my fourth point, deliver us Jesus died to deliver us from our common enemy. Is that right? But Pastor Steve, he's still barking at my heels. Pastor Steve, he's still reminding me of my past. But Pastor Steve, he's still bringing an element of fear into my life. Pastor Steve, he's still pricking someone over here about something that I didn't do, but now they're misinformed and now they're judging me and now I'm put in a position We give him too much room. We give our common enemy too much grace. We allow him to do things that he has no right to do anymore. If we would just stand in faith, 
Do you know that Satan is actually incomparable with God? Do you know this? Or does he have you running for fear? First Peter says that your enemy, be sober-minded because your enemy walks around like a what? Roaring lion, seeking someone whom to devour. How do you look at that verse? Are you scared of the lion? Or are you a bit more like David who defeated the lion? In fact, if you want to bring a comparison, nothing compares to the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus Christ. And he rose up victorious. Death couldn't hold him. Sin had no power over him. He broke the walls that separated you and I from God. And Satan has no right or access into that place. So when you are elevated into the seated and seated in heavenly places with God, guess who's not allowed in there? So when you're in the safety and confinement of God's purposes for your life, when you are in the place of fellowship that he has called you to be, you are in the safety of God's kingdom. And that devil, as he's walking around, he cannot devour you. He has no right over you. He has no authority over you because your life belongs to Jesus. And when you change that verse and you look at it from a completely different viewpoint, that viewpoint is this, an old lion, a defeated lion, one who is battered and bruised, walks with a limp and probably got a dislocated hip. He's got scars all over him. His mane is falling out. And an old lion, his teeth are falling out. The reason he's roaring and trying to scare you is because the only way an old lion can eat is by roaring and scaring a small and weak and timid animal from the pack. And if he can trick this animal into believing that a pack of lions is after it and this animal is separated, then he's got his meal. So who's weak? Who's immature? Who's the one that's running from God? Who's the one that's not attending where God wants them to attend? Who's the one who's not placing themselves under the protection of the word of God? You're the one that's scared by the toothless lion that is roaring and filling you with fear. Either your God is the God who, who rose up victorious or is not. It is the one who delivered you out of darkness and lifted you into the kingdom of light, or he's not. And if he's not, then maybe he should be today. Maybe you've been running long enough. Maybe you've been running from fear long enough. Maybe today, God, who is our deliverer, is here to deliver you from a place of darkness and into his light. Change the way we think. Get God's perspective. Look at how God sees you and walk from that position and you will walk in victory. We wait for God to break through. He already did in Jesus Christ. We work, outwork his breakthrough in your life today. There's a promise 
after that verse in Peter. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Now God wants to do lots of things for us where there are things he's called us to do. There's things he's called us to mature up into and we can't mature if we don't go through the valleys. We can't mature if we don't overcome the storms. There's that verse for those taking the photos. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. While the devil might think he's got power and has certain amount of power to wield, you have authority. And your authority is from Christ and Christ alone. Your authority is to stand up under the word of God and declare that the enemy is defeated. And you know what? When he comes to remind you of your sin, when he tries to show you the scoreboard, you point him to the real scoreboard that shows him the end result. Because the end result is we win. Because love wins. Let me pray for you this morning. Close your eyes and if there's something that God has said to your heart this morning that you want to partner with God in today. If you've been overcome by fear or anxiety or if you feel like there's just something in your life that you've been working to attain but you just can't work for it and you must let go and trust God's grace in this situation and allow him to deliver you from your old ways then maybe I'd like to invite you to stand to your feet this morning. See, God wants to set you free. And there is a liberty where His Spirit is at work. The Word of God has been shared to set you free because it is the fulfillment of the completeness of the cross. And we must partner with it. We must come to a place of declaring this over our life. Anxiety has no right, fear has no place. You might be going through a storm at the moment. Let me tell you, the light is at the end of that storm and his name is Jesus Christ. And right now, if you would embrace him, if you would raise your, your life to him and say, my life is no longer mine and I give it to you. Forgive me of my sin. Come and be my Lord of my life. He will set you free. Amen. Father, this morning, people are responding to you. This morning, Lord, you know every unique circumstance that every person in this room today is experiencing. You understand our hearts even deeper than we ever could imagine. For you look upon the heart as you did in David's life. And I thank you, Lord, that you don't look at our flesh. I thank you that you see us as a new creation. And today we choose to partner with that truth that I am alive in Christ and I am a new creature. 
The life I live, I no longer live unto myself, but I live unto the one who died for me. Today, Lord God, if there is someone in the house that is inviting you into their life for the first time, Holy Spirit, minister into their heart now, I pray. Let them feel your forgiveness. Let them sense your goodness. Let them know your love is toward them. Redeem them now, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Deliver them from a past and set them free. Raise them up out of the miry clay and set their feet and establish upon Jesus, our rock. Father, I pray today for every person that is standing, that they will encounter you as their shield, as their portion. Lord God, that they will encounter you as their rock. You are the horn or the power of our salvation and declare in the name of Jesus today do I that Christ reigns supreme. Thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us from all evil and that you see us as redeemed in Christ. Lord, I pray a blessing upon every person this morning. Amen. Praise God for that, hey? Now, we're going to have the band come and just finish this moment, this section. And we're going to sing God, my deliverer. So I invite the band to come. I will take over the band. We won't, do, we won't sing for long. I'll take over from the band and we'll move into our dedication for our building. Is that okay? Yep. So we're going to move into our dedication. We'll do some stuff here in the building and then we'll all walk out, uh, in, in this building and then we'll all walk outside and pray for that. So um, why don't you stand to your feet as Micah and the team come and uh, let's finish this moment of the word and just seal it in praise unto God and, uh, and then we'll move into our dedication moment. Thank you, everybody. song this morning as we go back into that first verse I just want to invite that you can come forward and I'll pray with you 
I'll give you the offer to come and make a decision today that God will be the Lord of your life and at the same time, He will set you free. So I want to make that offer to you this morning. You come forward and I'll pray with you and I'll lead you to understand who Jesus is in your life. Amen. against us 
of the Most High God, confessing over our lives who we are. Lord, not in a sense of pride and arrogance, but in a sense and a heart of gratitude today, that we would be ever grateful for what you've done for us, and that you would position us, Lord God, from this place of gratitude in a place where we would see reconciliation and redemption come for many in our lives. Deliver us, Lord God, that we may help See others be delivered from their help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. Thank you, team. Thank you, God. You may take your seats this morning. Awesome. So we got about...